Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? Yeah, I'm still sick. I'm working on it. It's a process. But uh, I don't want to leave you without an episode, and I also don't want to subject you to having to listen to me sound like this for any real length of time. So I thought I would bring you an episode from the show Forward Thinking that we did several years ago. And by we, uh, the podcast was was uh, hosted by myself, Lauren Vogelbaum, whom you might know from Saver, as well as lots of other stuff. And... Uh, Joe McCormick, who you might know from Stuff to Blow Your Mind and other stuff. So Lauren and Joe and I did episodes about futuristic stuff, Uh, not always technology, but often technology. And this particular episode is technology related. The title of the episode is Your Body as a Computer Interface. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Forward Thinking. 
Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I sing the body electric. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And, uh, guys, this just in. No, I'm sorry, that's Porky Pig. Lauren. Uh, similar. No, no, no. Breaking news. Yeah. Uh, we got a tweet on Twitter uh, from one Chris Newcomb, who said, in case your listeners didn't know, concrete ships. And he provided a link uh, and, and said, hey, local kids, swim around this thing for fun. And the link is to a wiki entry for the SS Palo Alto, which is a concrete tanker ship from World War World War One. Yeah. Now, why are we bringing this up? Is it because in a recent episode we made jokes about concrete ships? Uh, yes, that's exactly what we did. In our building materials episode, which came out a couple of weeks ago or so, we all had a really good lull about how concrete ships are a completely ludicrous idea that no one would ever possibly put into use. I think specifically what happened was we were talking about what you should make out of concrete, and I said, obviously, boats. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, no idea that this was a real thing. In my defense, because I I was the person who immediately struck that down, this ship was retired like in 1929, and then it broke in half. So, okay, but there are totally <laughs> ships that are made to this day with ferro cement, which is a type of concrete that's reinforced with like mesh and rebar and stuff like that. Uh, so, so that happens, and I just wanted to wanted to update you guys. Important news update. Well, yes. thank you for the info, Chris. I, yes. I feel much more educated than I was before. And I also now feel like I have a magic power to make unlikely seeming things real by laughing at them. Ooh. So uh, uh, what if there was a boat made out of uranium? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. You know what? As as funny as that is, and as much as I would love to dwell on it, I, I did a I did a little bit of research on a totally different topic. Uh, yeah, really? yeah. First of all, thanks again, Chris, for sending that yes. message, and we we really love hearing from you guys. And it was awesome learning something that we thought was ridiculous. Uh, today, we're going to talk about something else that at times comes across as a little ridiculous, which is the idea of what is the future of the kind of a, the interface that we use between us and our technology? Specifically, what happens when we turn ourselves into that interface? Yes. But uh, in your face <laughs> is what happens. I guess so. Uh, that kind of is. I, I wanted to – do you guys have any like really good uh, terrible interface stories? Well, I mean just here – I mean here, do you have a favorite terrible interface? I, to me, it's, it's not so much a terrible interface as it was a frustrating process of learning how to use it. I'm left-handed, and oh. I'm old enough to remember personal computers before the mouse. And when the mouse came along, and then suddenly the mouse was absolutely required in order for you to be able to to navigate through software, it became very difficult for me. Like, other folks were picking up on it very quickly. For me, it was more work because I didn't have that kind of fine-tuned precision with my right hand the way I do with my left hand. And they didn't have left-handed mice. mice at the time. No. Yeah. And and by the time they did, I was so used to using my right hand for that, I couldn't use oh, wow. a mouse left-handed. I, I mean, I it it felt wrong and and non-intuitive because I I trained myself how to use it with my right hand. But for me, that interface initially, at any rate was uh, not great. But that was, again, due to my own personal uh, left-handedness, my sinister state of being. (laughs) 
You know, I think you've probably had uh, experiences with other maybe awkward interfaces. What about Google Glass? Yeah, Google Glass. Actually, I was all right with Google Glass because I knew going into it what the interface was going to be like. But uh, in general, actually, Google's a great example just in general. Google uh, is a company that is clearly populated by engineers who have a very specific idea of how to solve a problem, which may or may not translate to any other human being's experience. (laughs) And so when you use a Google product, uh, you have to kind of learn how to think in the way the engineers were thinking when they designed it. And then it works. But initially... It can be very difficult to kind of suss out what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to get your technology to do the thing you want it to do. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, there's a learning curve to any kind of interface that you use to to, to use technology. I, I'm still completely mystified by the N64 controller. I <laughs> Designed for someone with three hands. I, I just yeah. think about it. It just makes me frustrated. It just makes me feel like I'm about to lose and get a t- turtle shell right Right up the keystone. Or, or the old, or the very old, uh, Microsoft Xbox Duke controller, which was roughly the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> like, like, some of those, or, or, you know, think about some of the really frustrating interfaces that were meant to be groundbreaking, like the power glove. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you, you guys might be too young to appreciate what a terrible terrible product that was i never i never owned one i I don't think i even knew anyone who had one i've heard tales i played with one and it was you would rapidly go from this looks so cool on me to this is completely useless if i want to actually play a game um yeah there are a lot of examples of interfaces out there that got in the way and really what we're trying to talk about today is the attempt to get the interface out of the way to have a seamless interaction between us and the technology that we depend upon and want to use. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we should do a quick uh, bit of definition just in case you haven't been following us so much so far. You probably have. But just to be clear, Mm -hmm. what is an interface? It's a system that controls input and output. It's the interaction between a human and a computer. And so this can be hardware or software. The hardware would be things like a screen Mm -hmm. where you see what's coming out of the computer. You can know what the computer is doing for you. And uh, hardware input like a mouse or keyboard. Uh, and sometimes you can combine input and output into a single device. For example, a touch screen, mm-hmm. classic example, input and output in the same object. Uh, but interfaces can also be software. So the classic example is the graphical user interface. Like when you go and use Microsoft Windows, you're interacting with memory in the computer through pictures. Right. You know, you move files around into different folders. Really, that's data coded to different locations in the memory. But there's a graphical representation of it for to make it easier for you. You're also executing programs that are represented as a, a some sort of graphic. Uh, you know, of course, if you were using computers before GUIs became a big thing. Yeah. Then you were typing all those commands out and you had to remember what all the different commands were in order for you to do things like navigate to the right uh, directory, file mm-hmm. directory to execute a file. Uh, but the the graphic user interface ends up simplifying that by creating this visually oriented 
approach to interfacing with the computer. Yeah. And so if you look at the history of computing, it's clear that interfaces are always changing, but not necessarily at a constant rate. Yeah. Uh, not like at the rate that processing power seems to steadily multiply over time. Right. Yeah. The, it, it, this is another great example. We've talked about this when we mentioned Kurzweil and Kurzweil's look at things like Moore's Law. And you start to try and uh, and and draw conclusions about what the future is going to be like when by using Moore's Law as your starting point. But that is really uh, deceptive because like you're saying, Joe, not everything not everything progresses at that same speed. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that speed in particular is a little bit of uh, what's the word self. Um, self oh, it's self-fulfilling. self-fulfilling. Yeah, it's a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy because no engineer wants to be in the generation that let Moore's law die. Right. You know, like, no, we've got to figure out another way to double the processing power of this computer within the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, yeah, but but no one has figured out how to double the mouse. Right. <laughs> I, hey, guys, I came up with it. I taped a mouse on top of another mouse. It's double mouse. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. So early computers didn't have a monitor or display, right? You, you would get your output in some other format. Like it could be punch cards. You could get a series of punch cards. You've run your, your program through. Your input was punch cards. Your output is a different set of punch cards, and that's your compiled program. That kind of stuff. Or you might get like a printer that prints along uh, a long uh, uh, strip of paper, like a, like tape essentially is what it ends up looking like. Yeah. Actually, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Richard Garriott, uh, he's known as he's a, a game designer. His first game that he ever designed printed on tape like that. Oh, my goodness. So every move you made in his little dungeon based crawler, it would print out what that looked like it was just a, a very simplified uh, representation of a dungeon. And when you would make a move, it would have to print another sheet out to show well, you what had happened. The original idea of the interface of the universal Turing machine was a strip of paper, right? Yeah. In which, uh, in which calculations would be done one at a time, printed on a long strip of paper. Yeah. So uh, eventually we evolved beyond that. We got monitors and displays. Uh, we got keyboards, which were much easier to use as an interface with a computer as opposed to just a collection of punch cards. Uh, later on, we got the mouse. Uh, Xerox ended up, Xerox's Park uh, department figured out the mouse and the graphics user interface. Although, of course, it was Apple that took right. great advantage of that with the Macintosh in 1984. Right. Um, and so that became like the standard interface for computers. And the mouse and keyboard... For a really long time, was that was it? I mean, that was for the yeah. input. Yeah, I mean, you would you had some other like fringe input systems, things like light pens and stuff, but Drawing joystick. Pad. Yeah, but the, the and joy, besides the joystick, the general public really didn't interact. The with dance that kind of dance stuff. revolution pad. Yeah. Yes. Now these days we we've gotten to a point where we're seeing a real revolution in interfaces. Um, yeah, not I a mean, dance now, dance revolution, a regular revolution. Right. <laughs> it's weird that we think of uh, that we think of like keyboards and mice, mice, mouses, whichever it is. <laughs> Um, as the standard, the standard way to control input right now, yeah. screens are still pretty much paramount. But I'd say that, you know, I bet the majority of our web traffic comes from touchscreen devices, right. not mouse and keyboard driven devices. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And you can see it by looking at the metrics. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. we're getting tons of traffic through mobile and mobile in general is using touchscreens. Now, you could also use voice commands for a lot of that mobile stuff if you were so inclined. Gesture commands, too. You'd say, okay, Google, howstuffworks.com. 
I apologize if you're listening to this on an Android device and you have the speaker active. Uh-oh. At any rate... Um, oh, you could do gesture control through an Xbox Connect or yep, something like that? Yep, and they're the Leap controller for PCs. There are a lot of of uh, uh, examples of that. We'll talk a little bit more about gesture controls in a bit. But, uh, but w- once you get into gesture control, you're entering a new kind of territory, aren't you? Yeah. Because there, the issue is... Uh, well, think about it like this. You're, you're using the body itself as part of an interface with a machine. So using the body as an interface, it's an interesting and kind of counterintuitive idea since an interface is supposed to be the bridge between the computer and the power of the computer and you, the user, what you're getting out of it. But if you think about it, we've been bridging this gap for so long with physical devices that are connected to the computer. Right. Why not flip the script and build a bridge in a place that's physically connected to the user? Right. And we've seen some some uh, examples of that as well. Uh, you could argue that VR headsets mm-hmm. are, are getting into that where you are, are wearing the computer device and your physical motions are what uh, allow you to experience that computer power in the way it was intended. Uh, sure. Or the aforementioned uh, connect sensors. You're, you're using your body to interact. Right. Yeah, exactly. We'll be back with more of an episode about your body as a computer interface after these messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So we're going to talk about not just ways where you are uh, interacting in, a, uh, in order to create input into a device, but also how you experience the output from that device, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we should mention some basic ideas in what, what, what's on offer here in yeah. terms of the body as an interface. So the input is probably the more obvious one. Mm-hmm. With input, instead of pressing buttons on an external device, moving a mouse or whatever, you might simply bef- – Perform an independent action by and of your own body. So this could be gestures, movements, poking yourself, wiggling a part of your body, mm-hmm. wiggling Wink. multiple parts of your body, wiggling Winking, parts of other people's blinking. bodies. No, see, then it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't. That wouldn't quite meet the criteria. I think. Well, it'd still be a body interface. It just wouldn't be your body. <laughs> I'm not, so, I'm not should, advocating it. should have a dead body. I should have a Bernie device. That, this reminds uh, me of a movie that's coming out, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, I think a complicated system of shrugs would be really good. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So you never have to lose your cool while you're controlling your like, phone. Oh, exactly. I, I meant to, I meant to do the, the please tell me more shrug, but it turned out I just did the meh shrug. Yeah. Or a combination of side eye and shrug. <laughs> uh, anyway, the key idea is that you don't have to touch or manipulate anything except your own body. You've got it with you all the time, right. so there you uh, go. It's very uh, convenient. And it's not, this This idea isn't super weird to us because we're already familiar with stuff like the Connect and gesture controls to some extent, sure. even if they're not super awesome yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you've also got output. Uh, so instead of having to look at a screen that's attached to an external device, which would cover the vast majority of output today, I'm, I'm having trouble even thinking of a standard device that has a very different way of doing it than this. Well, um, I mean, there's a growing list of devices that now are uh, using audio. Yeah. So things like Amazon's Echo. Right. Right. That that would be you're that's, not. Yeah, that's a good example. You know, but but I get what you're saying. Yes. The vast majority, I would say, are, are visually oriented. Uh, so, yeah. Instead of that, information about your computing task is made available directly to your body. The classic sci fi example of this would be this internal retina display. The screen is projected directly onto your retina. But th- I mean, that's a little crazy. We probably won't have anything like that for a long time, if yeah. ever. Yeah. We have some other examples that we'll talk about when we get to uh, haptics, because. That's one of the other methods of getting feedback from a computer that can be meaningful. It's just not visual. Yeah. So I I would say the middle step between standard input and output devices, standard interfaces, and this your own body as an interface would be wearables. Yes. Right. Because that's uh, it's getting close to your own body, but it's not quite your own body yet. Yeah. It could be something that is unobtrusive where you might not even think about it consciously after a while after Uh, wearing it. Yeah. Sure. Like a like a Fitbit or one of the pieces of jewelry that they're coming out with, something like that. Absolutely. That was a great example. And Fitbit is, in fact, a a, a fantastic example because so much of that interface is invisible to you Mm -hmm. that, again, it's the idea of removing that barrier. So a Fitbit is going to be tracking your steps. You might have other wearables that are doing things like tracking your heart rate, uh, that sort of stuff. 
where the the data is going to some form of cloud-based solution or or potentially just being beamed to a local uh, device like a, a smartphone or a tablet, uh, you're still usually dependent upon that other device in order to be able to consume the data in some way. It's presented mm-hmm. to you in some way. So it's not like it's directly getting that data to you through the device itself. You're, uh, you, you might have a display on the device that gives you some of the basic information, but your body is not acting as the display, right? It's still the device. Mm-hmm. Um, it does allow us to to have other means of interacting with our technology. Some wearables, you could argue, like the Nintendo Power Glove was a wearable. It wasn't a particularly <laughs> good one, but it was a wearable. Uh, it was not, it. not unobtrusive. <laughs> not, you know, it was definitely, you knew someone was wearing one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it allowed, well, that was part of the point, right? You wanted to show off that you were playing with power. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you had a glove to prove yeah, it. Yeah, and you looked a little bit like Michael Jackson in that era. A little so bit, that, yeah, which know. at the time was really important. Really uh, cool. Yeah, because if we couldn't get the jacket, we could at least get the power glove. Right. But the... the uh, do, you know, do y'all remember the Nightmare on Elm Street movie where Freddy wears a power glove? I I, I remember I seeing it. Don't. I've I blocked that six. from my mind. I think it's Freddy's. It's, oh, okay. It's I didn't watch that one. Definitely right. one of the I later haven't. ones. Oh, God. I was so worried about myself for a second there. <laughs> okay. No, everything's going to be fine, you guys. Nothing is on fire. I was late at six, though. I think that'd probably be around four. But at any rate, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. Okay. So so one of the things I wanted to talk about, this is kind of a – this is looking ahead at wearables. So you could have wearables that are are something that you don't interface with directly at all. It could be – you know, we've we've talked about the possibility of things like RFID chips that have a profile. This is sort, the sort of thing that Bill Gates was putting in his house where you would get a little RFID badge that would have a profile programmed into it that's personalized to you. And then your experience as you walk through his house would be to see the kind of art that you like, to hear the kind of music you like, the lighting condition would be to your preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it would be dependent upon that profile. We've since reached a point where we can get a little more advanced than that. You don't necessarily have to have a wearable anymore for that kind of stuff, but that was one implementation. Another, however, is this, uh, this, this haptics, uh, feedback solution that I had been talking about. So uh, Right, right. Haptics being uh, having to do with your sense of touch. Exactly. Yeah. So we already are familiar with technology that has haptic feedback. Here's one you're very likely to be familiar with. If you ever played a video game where the controller buzzes in your hand yeah. when you do something. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the old rumble pack, right? Those have been around for for a couple of generations of video game consoles and also for PC controllers. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, you you want to have a controller that enhances the the experience of playing a game. So it might be uh, a great example would be a stealth based game where mm-hmm. you're you're skulking around in the shadows and your controller might start to vibrate to indicate that perhaps you are visible or, or potentially visible to an enemy. So you need to get back into cover. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A vibration being being like your spidey sense going on. Yeah. Um, or if you're if you're playing a horror game and your your life starts getting too low and you start feeling your heartbeat through the controller. Pack, right. And that lets you know that you need to drink a health potion or, you know, a uh, Cast right. a spell, whatever it is. Right, or, or, or unplug the game and go or and surrender hide to in the death. corner. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if Pyramid Head is coming around the corner, you just want to like, I just, I just need to go and read a, a happy book for a while. Uh, or you know, another one that everyone is probably familiar with 
are the vibrating motors in uh, in, in smartphones or oh, cell sure. phones. Yeah, yeah. Right? I that, mean, that's that a very simple text one. text thing, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. They, they, maybe they vibrate when you're doing an input or they vibrate to alert you that a call is coming in. But that's that's the haptic feedback, mm-hmm. very basic uh, application of haptic feedback. I don't know if uh, you've ever had the experience of getting so used to this that it's weird when it doesn't happen. I've had this experience with my phone where I, I don't even notice anymore that when I punch a key to, like, enter, you know, to enter a letter on a text message or something like that, mm-hmm. the phone vibrates a little to register, like, yeah, I got that. I yeah. got that letter. Uh, and if the it's on very low battery and you go into energy saver mode, it'll stop vibrating mm-hmm. when you enter keys, and it feels very weird. You keep wondering, like, wait, did that key, did that press, did it take? <laughs> In my old phone, I actually turned that off because the the it was reminding me of that episode of the IT crowd where they soup up uh, Roy's vibrating motor in his cell phone because every time I would type in a letter it made a really loud like noise to the point where uh, if I wanted to check something out and my wife was napping I would wake her up so I finally turned it off my current phone much more subtle so I'm all right with it I've, I've never had a phone that did that although it did it did scare me every time I was I, I used to I used to have a Fitbit uh, that I would wear constantly and whenever I went over 10,000 steps in the day it would it would do this like buzz 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 yay party times and you, you're thinking I'm having a heart attack <laughs> Is that a snake? What's going on? Yeah, it, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes sometimes the acclimation period yes. takes a little longer for certain types of technology than others. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and in fact, this was one of the stories that kind of prompted the this entire episode, mm-hmm. was this research project. Uh, some people at the University of Sussex, uh, with funding from a couple of different uh, companies and organizations, have developed something they call skin haptics. And this is a device that gives haptic feedback, but does so without a moving, vibrating type of motor having direct contact with your skin. It actually does it through ultrasonic frequencies. Mm. Crazy, right? So I did a How Stuff Works Now piece on this. Uh, How Stuff Works Now, for those who do not know, that's where uh, we at How Stuff Works post stories that are happening right now, the kind of uh, newsy type of stuff. And it tends to be science and technology focused, but not necessarily. We've done some other things that are outside of the realm of that. But uh, I tend to focus on science uh, and technology. A lot of them do, since it's a since it's research that's just coming out right now. Yeah. And so, so a lot of that has to do with technology and science. Yeah, it's sort of futuristic, thunk? weird. Yeah. So this particular one, they're using ultrasonic uh, waves that you have a little emitter that would go on the back of your hand. So uh, you would put this emitter down and it would be facing down toward your palm, you know, through your hand. And it would emit ultrasonic frequencies. They would move through your hand, through your very flesh and bones, and concentrate on points on the other side so that it would feel as if something was making contact with the palm of your hand. With like with like focal points on your. OK, OK, yeah. sure. So imagine that. Imagine that you have a screen projected on your hand and it's a number pad. And when you press, not only do you get the feeling of where your finger touches your hand, you then get a confirmation through this ultrasonic frequency saying, yeah, yep, yeah, you totally, you totally that, touched the one. That button worked. Yep. Or you're playing, let's say, you know, you're, we're really looking in the future here. You're playing Angry Birds. <laughs> On your hand, uh-huh. and you pull your little your little bird back, and you let go, and the bird collides with a pig, and then your your hand vibrates right at the point where the where bird the and pig, pig yeah. collided. That kind of stuff. Um, 
that's the idea behind it. Now, this is just the haptic <laughs> feedback part, not the display part. I like that part. your beautiful far future definitely still includes Angry Birds. I, I don't. I can't imagine a future without it, and I Fair don't enough. want to. Uh, but uh, I was thinking that this this same technology could be used for stuff where you don't have a display element at all. So imagine, if you will, a um, a bicycle or a car that has sensors on it that can detect potential uh, obstacles, dangers, collisions, that kind of thing. And you're you're using this device and it alerts you by creating pressure on your hand through this emitter and perhaps is even telling you almost radar like where that threat could be coming from so that you have the opportunity to react and avoid it. In other words, you have spidey sense. You could even do this on a personal level if you don't mind wearing a super dorky helmet that's got sensors all over it. I mean, I can't really think of any implementation where you would be able to have sensors mounted in such a way that you didn't look completely weird. As long as it's modeled after, uh, visually modeled after the colander that Rick Moranis wears in Ghostbusters, right. I'm totally chill with it. Right. Uh, you know, the, uh, as the, the, um, was he, was he the key master or was he the gatekeeper? He was the key master. He's the key master. Yeah. He's Vince Clartho, key master of Gozer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if Thank you, you for that important research, if you, Joe. Yeah. If you want to tell him about the Twinkie. Uh, so if, if you want the, if you want the, the key master look and you don't mind it and you want to have Spidey sense, then we could probably work something up, uh, once the University of Sussex guys get this completely ready to go, like, ready for prime time. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really cool idea, again, of using that touch feedback uh, where the body itself becomes the the method for you to uh, to experience this technology and you've stripped away anything else like you don't have a screen or anything that you're dependent upon you're just feeling this yeah yeah there's there's no way to to leave the device behind because it's attached to you yeah now we could go the next step which is where our largest organ the skin becomes an interactive surface, something yeah. that you use to interface with technology. Like the touch screen on your phone. Yeah. I mean, so today, if you want to read or send a text message, you'll usually hold your phone in your hand and read the text off the screen or type on the screen by pressing letter buttons with your fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've actually slowly started to move to voice to text, but that obviously only works in special situations where you know, you it's really annoying when you keep doing that in meetings. Jonathan. I don't. Yeah, I can't do that anymore in in meetings or generally in public. But like if I'm on my own, if I'm walking my dog and I need to send a quick text to my wife, I often will use voice to text. Um, and then it, people just think that I'm married to my dog, which because they're like because of the messages. Hey, honey, do you mind picking something up on your way home? And they're like. I don't think that dog's going to be at all cooperative. (laughs) It's great when you hear people saying, I love you, babe, to a lamppost. Yep. (laughs) Look, don't judge, okay? (laughs) You don't know their love. I saw the brave little toaster, and that lamp was adorable. (laughs) Uh, Uh, At any rate, yeah. So so we've got a device in the way here. mm -hmm. Uh, Before we can get to Jonathan's uh, uh, perfect Angry Birds future, we need to take away... That screen yeah, that's in that, front of you. that physical yeah. device. Yeah. So, so imagine that same experience sitting there with your phone in your hand, typing a text message on it or reading a text message off of it, but without the phone there. 
And there's where you get this concept. One uh, implementation I saw of this was a thing that was from the Hasso Plotner Institute called the Imaginary Phone, which was a project by Sean Gustafson, Christian Holtz, and Patrick Bodish. And Imaginary Phone, it sounds great on one hand because it's like a, an April Fool's prank. Like you give somebody a gift. It's, oh, it's your new iPhone. It's an imaginary <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> you're, and we think empty. you're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so the last I heard of this project was some media coverage in 2011. I don't, I don't know if it's still in the works. But the idea, at least, is interesting enough that you could continue it to be adapted with new hardware. And here's the basic way it works. You wear a depth-sensitive camera on your chest, mm-hmm. um, and then you hold out your hand in front of you, palm side up, and then you interact with your own hand the same way you'd interact with the phone screen. You know, you press parts of it, and the camera tracks your movements and sends them to your phone or other device as input commands. So different places on your hand correspond to different inputs on a phone screen. A swipe across your fingers will swipe the screen. You can dial numbers by pressing different parts of your palm. Um, and that's interesting in terms of input. But obviously, if you're just looking at your hand, that sounds like a kind of annoying thing to learn to do. Uh, sure, yeah. I have a really hard time typing texts out when I can see the letters on the screen. Right. So I'm picturing that that wouldn't go very well for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so what about the, you basically need a corresponding display. Uh, the appeal of the touchscreen is that you can, you can see what you're interacting with and perform your interactions in the same place. And that, that brings us to this idea of projected displays on skin, mm-hmm. which inherently isn't uh, there's no real problem with that except that it just requires some good non-invasive comfortable design and some good engineering I guess Mm -hmm. we've got more to say about using your body as a computer interface after this working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare today i'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids how about instead of timeouts time ins time for you to start paying some bills I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. 
AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So one project I came across that was trying to do something like this was the uh, the Secret Bracelet Project. Secret, C-I-C-R-E-T. I didn't... Secret? In, maybe you're supposed to keep it secret, keep it safe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, there was some coverage of this project back in 2014, 2015. Uh, and the idea is it's a bracelet. It looks kind of like a jawbone up. You know, okay. It's a bracelet that has a, a low angle projector on it mm-hmm. that projects a display onto the surface of your forearm. So you wear it on your wrist and it projects at a low angle up onto your skin on your arm. Mm-hmm. And if you go watch the, the original video promo for the project, you will see animations that are I mean, obviously, they are animations because it was before the thing was made. They right. Were just trying to say, here's, here's the basic the proof, idea proof of concept mm-hmm. type yeah. of thing. Well, I probably wouldn't even concept, it was just, just a, a concept. Yeah, here's proof the of concept, concept yeah. of a concept. Yeah. And you could see that people were mad that it was uh, it was making it look like these displays would be incredibly sharp and beautiful looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably not going to be the case, especially early on. And they might have been optimistic, but uh, now there are prototypes. I've seen videos of them being used. And the image quality in the real world, it might not be amazing, but also it's not too bad. And that also might not be that big of a deal, because what if you're not really planning on watching movies on your arm, but what if you just wanted to be able to use your arm to send a text message or something without having to mess with a device, get a device out of your pocket and deal with it? Mm. Well, yeah, it's an interesting idea. It's one of those where a lot of the ones we're talking about now, you still have to pair it with exactly. another right. device, right? Yeah. So then the question is, is the benefit of whatever this body interface, is that benefit greater than the uh, frustration you might have of just taking your phone out and doing these things? One of the things I was first thinking about when you're talking about typing stuff on your palm uh, with the earlier implementation was, well, what if you wanted to make a phone call? You would still have to get your phone out. And then I thought, wait, no, you're making a rookie mistake, Jonathan. No one uses their phones to make phone calls anymore. <laughs> so I don't even know why that crossed my mind. Yeah. Because uh, I'm a dinosaur is really what I'm getting at. But 
Uh, oh, another... we haven't had a good Jonathan H. joke in a really long time. Well, we haven't we haven't true. ever had a good Jonathan H. Oh. joke. Uh, I think he, I think Jonathan made some get off my lawn jokes just last week. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, you're right. To be fair, I also talked about acid rain in the episode we recorded immediately before this, and talked about growing up in the '80s and being afraid of communists. So, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, was a product of the time. Uh, so, one of the other things I wanted to talk about about bodies and interfaces doesn't have to do with displays. We talked about uh, the haptic feedback we talked about visual feedback what about audible feedback using your body to make sounds and not in like a middle school kind of way (laughs) where you're you're showing your friends how hilarious you are by utilizing your body to make various fart noises that's Uh, not what i'm talking about sure and i mean and i mean we we're we're making sounds with our bodies right this very moment. Sure, but what if we could? It's a relatively easy system. What if we could make that that whole process more convoluted and creepy? <laughs> Let's do it. Like instead of instead of just talking to you like a human being, I you and I would still have to be in the same space for this to work. But then we make it super creepy. Uh, and by creepy. I mean creepy. I'll explain what I'm talking about, and you tell me if I'm off base calling this creepy. Uh, the system I'm talking about is called uh, Inshin Denshin, um, and this was a a concept out of Disney research, actually. And it is all about turning your body into a transmitter, um, and it's pretty wacky. So think of one person being the transmitter. This would be someone who's like the speaker, uh, as in the person speaking, not not a speaker in the uh, electronics sense. Oh, right, right. And the other projector. person Yeah. Yeah, the other person is the receiver mm-hmm. or the listener. And together you end up creating a speaker in the sense of electronics. Uh, so the transmitter person speaks into a microphone and presumably they're saying something quiet enough so that the other person isn't hearing it. So they might be whispering something like a like a I want to go to lunch today. And you whisper it into your microphone. The microphone transmits that uh, that sound wave. It actually transforms it into a high-frequency, low-power electrical signal, which your body can carry because our bodies actually can conduct electricity. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. So then Pretty you go, well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, too well in some cases, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's why uh, you've got to be real careful around electricity. But... One of the many reasons you should be. But let's say all right, you've got this microphone. You've just whispered something into it. It's now transmitting a low-power, high-frequency electrical signal through your body. You then walk up to the person who is the receiver, and then you just casually reach out and put your finger on that person's ear. Mm-hmm. This is the part where I think it's kind of creepy. And then the connection that you make with that other person. Yeah, the skin-to-skin connection. That's what allows this area to suddenly become like a speaker and the person whose ear you're touching will be able to hear the thing you've whispered into the microphone. Uh, so it's uh, also interesting in that you can extend this by having multiple people involved. It's almost like playing a game of telephone that you could whisper something into the microphone, put your hand on someone's shoulder. They put their hand on the next person's shoulder and the next person. And then that person puts their finger to the recipient's ear, they would hear what you had originally whispered into the microphone. I don't know that there is any practical application of this technology. It's just another weird way of turning the body into an actual interface. You know, I do try to keep an open mind, but uh, but burn all this with fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't really like it when people touch my ears. Yeah. I, I, 
I like I like listening to ASMR videos in which there is an ear massage element going on, but the actual thought of someone physically coming up and touching my ear squigs me out a little. I feel like that's a violation of personal space that I'm not ready to deal with casually. That's yeah. something that should be left up to uh, to con. To oh right with, the, with other people exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. This yeah. is SETI Alpha Five. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, I could I could see it being used in. Uh, in, in some other way of, of transmitting information. Um, well, it could be an interesting way of being able to transmit information quietly, uh, but you still have to speak into the microphone the first time. Well, I mean, if, if it wasn't using if it wasn't using sound waves, if uh, if, if something if, uh, if if you could hook yourself up to some kind of device that would read that not uh, not literally out loud in your ear, but that would that would read the information and be able to, I don't know, uh yeah, I don't know. Save you, it for later. Because you, could, I'm, I'm you sure. couldn't do yeah. it to yourself because you wouldn't be creating a full connection. You have right. to be touching somebody else. So. Well, I mean, I mean some, something like, like, oh, here's my business card handshake. Oh, gotcha. And, That's and interesting. And it loads your I business could, card I could see some that. game elements in there, too. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. again, it's a little little wacky and a little weird. But it, it was an interesting way of looking at turning the body into an interface. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to go the next step. Like, let's say we've gotten past the the wearable stage. I think a lot of people are imagining the body as interface with embedded technology, stuff that would be incorporated into us. Right, if you're really desirous of surgery. Yeah, uh, and according to Repo the Genetic Opera, there is totally a group that's in there. Um, But yeah, this would be where you would actually have some sort of technologies embedded in you. And obviously at this point we're talking pure speculation. There's not uh, examples of this beyond stuff that biohackers are doing. And even in that case, they tend to be incredibly primitive applications of technology. Uh, and it may be that we won't see this kind of stuff for quite some time for lots of reasons. Now we do have examples of embeddable technology, biotechnology. Generally speaking though, they are designed to address a problem. Like, let's say that someone wishes to, uh, they, they have a visual impairment that they want to overcome, that t- there might be technology they use in order to supplement their eyesight or their hearing with, like, cochlear implants, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Th- now, we've got ex- examples of that. What we don't really have are examples of attempts to enhance already quote, unquote, normal or uh, within the norm kind of of uh, human capabilities. And uh, right. I hate using that phrase, but that's the way it tends to be framed. I, I mean, well, and, and medically speaking, there is there is a there is an average or, yeah. or, or, or normal. And, right. it's, and it's not meant to. But, but absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and the and of course, the, the problem there is, is that any responsible medical person isn't going to recommend i mean i mean surgery is always dangerous getting an implant of any kind is always going to carry an element of of you could get an infection it yeah. could go terribly wrong like there, any, your any body could of, uh, could reject whatever it was that was implanted yeah yeah it could screw up your immune system for that reason mm-hmm. uh, lots of things like that so therefore uh, and and we talked a little bit about this in our hacking your body episode from yeah. way back when yeah and there are other things obviously that you have to keep in mind things like uh, the technology's battery life. How do you recharge a battery? What is it? Is it drawing power from the person in some way? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you create something that you make sure that it'll, it'll work within the body and not break down or, uh, otherwise, uh, end up falling apart within a certain amount of time? Cause the body, I don't know if you know this, 
not the most hospitable environment for technology. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's there's there's that rest thing that we were talking about. Relatively <laughs> yeah. Recently. Oxidizing. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a that that's an issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Bad guacamole in the bloodstream. That's not something we want to mess around with. <laughs> uh, right. And there are there are lots of researchers who are working on ways to to get that to be better. Yes. Uh, you know, specifically for things like like a like a heart monitors and uh, right. and, and whatever. But but it may be quite some time, even if we get to a point where the technology is reliable, where it's safe, where where the the potential for complications is as low as we can possibly make it. There's still going to be a barrier there where uh, the medical profession in general may see it an, an ethical issue yeah. of do I do I do this uh, uh, cosmetic? It would essentially be akin to cosmetic surgery, but possibly with far greater uh, ethical concerns than your average cosmetic surgery. Is it ethical for me to perform this? Uh, am I going to risk my my livelihood if I were to do this? And then you might eventually get to a point where socially it's more accepted, but there's probably going to be a lag between when people are actively advocating to get this done to themselves and when it becomes socially acceptable in general. And and that period is going to be interesting to watch and find out like how it'll it'll almost help determine how long it takes to adopt that as uh a, a perfectly standard kind of practice. Um, then there comes a question of haves versus have nots. There are other conversations that happen further down that line, which fall more into that singularity conversation we've had multiple times on this show. Now, the cool thing I think is that you could argue a lot of the, the technologies we're seeing right now are negating the need for surgery in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's largely through things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive technologies, very simple sensors working on very complicated algorithms to respond to our needs in a way where we, we become unaware that our environments are adjusting to us without our direct command. So a, a very simple example of this would be something like a Nest thermostat or some other mm-hmm. smart thermostat where it starts to learn, quote unquote, what you like, what your preferences are, that maybe you like it pretty chilly at night, but you like to wake up to a nice, warm, toasty house or uh, or it's recognizing when you are home versus when you are not home and thus adjust the temperature so that you are being uh you're conserving energy whenever you're not in the house and you're not just wasting electricity mm-hmm. although that that is still through through the pairing of a device yeah it's pair well it's pairing a device through a wi-fi network uh you don't necessarily have to have it paired to uh, like a like a smartphone or anything but the interesting thing is it is detecting when you are there it's detecting what you want and it's responding without you having to make uh, a direct command, although there's an acclimation period at the beginning where you are making those commands. Otherwise, it doesn't know. Right. It's not like the thermostat takes a look and like, ah, oh, this bald guy, he's going to want it 70 degrees. I'm just going to go ahead. <laughs> no, I got to tell it that I want it 70 right. degrees first. So I, it learns that. I think what you're saying is we're all going to get thermostats implanted in our bodies so we can be 70 degrees on the inside. That is that is not what I was suggesting, but it always is interesting to to get a insight into your thought process, Joe. Um, 
Yeah, so the but my point. Just think how much energy you'd save if you didn't have to make the whole house seventy degrees, yeah. just your own body. My point being that we are seeing some technologies come into play where our bodies are in in a way becoming an interface, but it's through it, it's not through a conscious effort for us to control that technology. The technology is responding to us, and if we see that increase in other ways, it may turn out that the uh, the more invasive approach becomes moot. We don't need it because we're able to compensate with other technologies that are able to do these things through machine learning. We got a bit more show to go, but uh, before we get to that, let's take one last break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Well, when yeah, when you speak of uh, the ways our uh, the, the ways technology is adapting and learning from us without our knowledge, I mean, I, I wonder about uh, 
you know, is Facebook going to get to the point where it uses the camera on my computer to look at my face and see what disgusts me and show me more of that because I'm more likely to click on it? Yeah. I mean, there are certainly privacy concerns with this this particular approach. And, and we've well, already I mean, whether, whether or not it's a privacy concern, let's say I authorize them to do it. I mean, either way that they're uh, responding to your unconscious cues that you give with your face and your eyes and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that I'm sure there are people looking into. I mean, one the next thing we're going to talk about are micro expressions, right. micro expressions oh, being yeah. these these very tiny gestures you can make sometimes unconsciously and how. People are hoping to turn those micro expressions into a way to interface with technology, largely because I think most of us don't want to have to make big gestures on our bodies in order to control technology. It would be better to do very subtle things. Uh, Yeah, there has to be some kind of happy medium between having to make flag semaphore motions at your connect and uh, and having a brain implant that's that's directly reading. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, please now chicken dance to answer this phone call. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. There's so many great comedy sketches that could be a result of this conversation. But. Uh, there was a, a piece that was written in Fast Code Design. Uh, Andy Goodman and Marco Rigetto uh, wrote. Is this about the this. one by the uh, there that that design company Fjord? Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, and we'll come back to that toward the end of it too. But uh, it's they were arguing that the motions we make with uh, body interfaces should be minimalistic, and that there's already precedent for this. When you are moving a mouse, this is one of those problems that I had when I was learning how to use a mouse with my right hand. Uh, the the small motions you make are translated into larger motions among uh, on screen, right? So when mm-hmm. you when you move the cursor on your screen, you don't have to move the mouse the same distance on your desk as what you're seeing on your screen. At least you shouldn't. Right. If you are, there's a problem. You need to change mm-hmm. some settings. But generally speaking, like you might move your mouse over an inch, but you are moving the equivalent of like five inches on the screen. Well, I mean, do you do you remember when the Nintendo Wii came out and how long it took people not that long to figure out (laughs) that all these games that were supposedly about like doing big motions and getting exercise, you could actually just sit right there on the couch and kind of flick the controller to accomplish the same thing. Yeah, Yeah, there was a um, specific flick of the wrist. There there was a game, an arcade game. It was a uh, boxing game where the controllers were like two big boxing gloves and it, it could detect when it had motion sensors, cameras essentially mounted on the top of a frame looking down so it could tell when you were ducking or moving left or right. And then the uh, controllers actually had most mo- accelerometers in them to tell when you were punching. But it turned out that if you just stood there and just banged the gloves together, it counted it as a punch so you wouldn't get tired very quickly and you could just... You could play longer? Yeah, you could wipe out like the first five or six guys on that... On that just um, doing that? Yeah, just doing that. Yeah. Uh, I did not learn that until after I had actually hurt my back playing an arcade game. And that's the first time I ever <laughs> felt old. Um, all right, so... Jonathan's uh, coolest anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I just have to I have to own it. Right. I just got to own it. Mm-hmm. So uh, they thought that the, the writers of this piece thought that those minimalistic kind of uh, uh, movements that you would see with a, a, a mouse should be the same sort of things you would see with a body interface so that mm-hmm. you could do very subtle things to control your devices as opposed to doing things like swiping up and down your forearm 
in order for you to adjust, say, the volume of music being played on your device or the lights in your home dimming or, or getting brighter. I think, God, one of the examples they did is about, like, putting your thumb on one of your or your uh, tongue on one of your teeth, uh, right? I have a quote, so don't jump ahead, Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah, so I the, apologize. Okay. So specifically, I in the section I said the description can get a little creepy. So <laughs> this is this is a paragraph that Joe was just referring to in this piece. It says, uh, "Think about this scenario. You see someone at a party you like. His social profile is immediately projected onto your retina. Great." A 92% match. By staring at him for two seconds, you trigger a pairing protocol. He knows you want to pair because you are now glowing slightly red in his retina screen. Then you slide your tongue over to your left incisor and press gently. This makes his left incisor tingle slightly. He responds by touching it. The pairing protocol is completed. That is... Horrifying. Yeah, uh, yeah. The next piece I wanted to talk about so was this written. Is, this is describing a party hookup in terms of like the stuff you would do to I don't know initiate trading in a massive I think, multiplayer. I game think what I something. think what they were looking at was they were like you know. Tinder is great, but not nearly creepy enough. Not, not enough inside <laughs> yeah. your body. Yeah, we, we don't touch our teeth at all during Tinder. Right, at, and at we, need to, for... we, need to, we need to really get some tongue-to-tooth action yeah, or, going. Yeah, or finger to tooth Well, because I don't... Anyway. Otherwise, how will he know that you're interested in him? So, uh, well, no, I'm confused about the part where it says his, his incisor starts to tingle. He responds by touching it. Does that mean with his tongue or with another part of his body? Or with someone else's tongue. Who's to say? The world is full of amazing possibilities. Let's it's not... funny that you read that. I read this exact same piece, and I did not decide to include any of it because I found it off-putting. Well, the reason specifically <laughs> I decided to keep to to include it uh-huh. was because to kind of conclude this conversation, there are people who are saying, "Do we even want our bodies to be a technological interface in the first place?" Uh, yeah. Right, and there was there was a really good piece written more or less directly in response to to that piece. Yes. At to the the, the fast MIT code technology review. Right. Yeah. That by John Pavlis, who wrote uh, his piece was titled, Your Body Does Not Want to Be an Interface, which pretty much tells you what the argument is going to be. It's yeah. a very well written piece and, and it it's it's very interesting. Um, and he first argues that turning bodily experiences or motions into a command issued to technology would make it feel unnatural and alien, which is the opposite of the intention, right? The intent is to remove that barrier between you and technology so that a natural motion gets interpreted as a a command and the technology responds. But he says, if you're doing this quote-unquote natural motion in order to issue a command, you're not really being natural by definition because you are are issuing a command to technology, something that is not a natural thing for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might become something that ends up being second nature after doing it enough times. But in itself, it becomes this alien uh, task because now you're, you're trying to do something in order to make a command. I can easily understand what he's saying because if you've ever worked with a voice command system and you have to issue commands in a specific way in order to get results, it feels very unnatural because you're having to preface what you say with 
some sort of command or you have to word it in a specific way for it to understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It is not a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says that we would make ourselves kind of hyper aware of how weird it is to like run our fingers along the inside of our forearms to adjust the dimness of the lights <laughs> in our house or whatever. And uh, Pavlis refers to a computer scientist named Paul Dorish or Dowrish, who in turn took inspiration from a philosopher, uh, Martin Heidegger. Uh-huh. Uh, Heidegger, Heidegger was a boozy beggar. Uh-huh according to Monty Python. And uh, it was all about differentiating two general types of tools. Uh, the first type was is called the ready-to-hand technologies. Those are things that feel like they're an extension of our bodies. Uh, and so think of a hammer when you're hammering a nail. Yeah, he I says, was going to say the club. That would be a, a very, a very uh, brute version. Or in my case, for this weekend, the rapier. I've been working with one for a while, so it feels like an extension of my arm. When I first picked it up, that was not the case. It would fall into the second category of tools, which, uh, you know, that one is the present at hand type. So ready to hand type, that's the kind where as you're using it, you're not even really thinking of the tool as a separate thing from you. It's an extension of you, mm-hmm. right? But the present at hand, you are aware of the presence of that tool. So, for example, when I was learning to use a mouse, I was hyper aware of the mouse because it was so hard for me to learn how to use. Mm -hmm. It was something that I was absolutely conscious of. It did not feel like an extension. These days, it totally does because I've used it enough where I've reached that level of familiarity. So so things can change. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who's learned how to play a musical instrument, for example, has probably gone through this. Yeah, that's a great a great way of of putting it. So any of you out there who think back to when you first started learning how to play any kind of musical instrument. Think about your first day when someone first said, like, and this is a chord. And you went, nope, nope, nope. Especially with stringed instruments where, like, your fingers start to hit other strings. So you're muffling some of the chord. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound right. What is going on here? And you feel in that first stage like you're never going to get it right. It's mm-hmm. never going to happen. You, like, you have to concentrate so hard. But then eventually you start to develop a familiarity and it becomes that first type of tool where it just feels like an extension of yourself. Uh, he says the problem is if we turned our bodies into interfaces, at least for a while, they would turn into that second type of tool that our bodies would feel weird and alien to us. He specifically it uh, took the the example of John Cusack's character in being John Malkovich oh, right. trying to control John Malkovich. That's uh-huh. like a marionette dealing with a puppet. And, and it's not you're, you're not skilled yet. You don't know how to manipulate it properly. Mm-hmm. But instead of it being another person's body, it's your own body. And he says, that sounds like an awful experience. I uh, don't want that. Yeah, yeah. It it enters into this, and I and I guess I was sort of emotionally reacting in this way when I was thinking about some of those examples, the tooth touching and whatever. Uh, it, it enters into this kind of uh, Cronenbergian sort of sort of body horror area where y- you yourself are a foreign object. And yeah. And how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, how do and, you reconcile yeah. the, the, the two? And you figure concepts? that that these these interfaces are ultimately going to be designed by somebody who thought this has got to be the best way. This is the way it makes sense to do this mm-hmm. thing, right? But that's not you. So it may be that something that seems natural to the person who designed the system is completely unnatural to you, mm-hmm. and then you have to commit this unnatural motion in order to do something you want to do. That's not a good experience. 
And yeah, I, I think there could totally be a Cronenberg style body horror film based upon this premise. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. even if you're, even if you're doing something that isn't on the surface horrifying, if you make it clear that it is something that doesn't feel right in order for you to get the response you want, that is a very disturbing idea. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is the kind of thing. It, there, there's been some research lately into uh, common facial expressions that that people across the world all make. Uh, there was one story that came out that I that I think the aforementioned How Stuff Works Now uh, covered about um, a nope face mm. uh, that that apparently is just common to to many human populations. This this like I'm disinterested and I don't want to be interested kind of kind of facial expression. Right. And so I wonder whether further research into that kind of thing could possibly identify common common micro gestures mm-hmm. that are just ubiquitous that would be natural for people to use right and that technology could pick up on without us even really being having to be aware that we're making those right the, the, and of course the challenge there also is that how do you how do you determine which ones need to be conscious decisions on the part of the person interacting with technology right because if it's an active thing, uh-huh. You don't want to you don't want to accidentally activate your technology if all you need to do is like scratch your nose or whatever, whatever <laughs> tiny thing it might be right. or, or that you're blinking at a certain frequency, whatever it might be. You don't want to be activating your technology accidentally. Yeah. Like like I, I ended up taking a whole bunch of pictures of myself when I was looking like a complete doofus because it just so happened that the thing that I was going through at that time was the same as my command. Hey, take a picture now. Sure. So. There are some challenges. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I was thinking like so far ahead, like into the like her kind of universe. If you right. guys saw that film, the idea where you actually have this world that can anticipate things, like like the Nest thermostat model, but on steroids. Yeah. You know, this idea of we we talked about this in our our Internet of Things episode where we said you know you extend this idea outward far enough, it's a a an environment that anticipates everything you need before you even are able to consciously think of what those needs might be. That's that's kind of the end uh, destination that people really hope to get to. That was Your Body as a Computer Interface from the Forward Thinking podcast. Uh, you know, we don't do that one anymore. I really miss it because there is nothing like sitting down with some of the smartest people you know and just talking about cool potential stuff, like things that are on the cusp or just emerging uh, or or perhaps are only hypotheticals and kind of casting your mind forward and imagining what may be. Uh, Obviously, predicting the future is always a tricky thing. You never really want to double down on that because you could be wildly wrong. But it was fun to do. Uh, if you have never listened to the Forward Thinking Podcast, I, I suggest you check it out. Just go through, look at the episodes, see if there are any that strike your your fancy. Um, because I feel like we did a lot of really good work. Now, granted, also, those episodes are several years old now. Some of those, we were predicting things that either definitively came to pass or did not. Um, and if they did come to pass, they probably looked very different from the way we imagined them. But yeah. I think it's a really good show that, you know, you can check out. There's also a forward thinking video series that I did several years ago. That's all up on YouTube. If you want to check those out, Um, I occasionally get notifications about people still watching those episodes and I haven't done one in in years. 
But uh, it's very gratifying to know that people still watch it occasionally. Anyway, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or you just want to say hi, anything like that, a couple different ways you can do that. You can go to the iHeartRadio app and navigate to the text stuff page. And there's a little microphone icon. You click on that and you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Or, of course, you can reach out via Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again and hopefully sound a billion times better really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 